What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. The overcome by a sense of sinister fun gave a short, harsh laugh directly repressed. No, it's the most unheard, he mumbled while she stood before him, biting her lower lip, as if plunged in deep thought. He laughed again in one low burst that was as spiteful as an imprecation. He did not know why he felt such an overpowering and sudden distaste for the facts of existence, for facts in general, such an immense disgust at the thought of all the many days already lived through. He was wearied. Thinking seemed a labour beyond his strength, he said. You deceived me. Now you make a fool of him. It's awful. Why? I deceived myself, she exclaimed. Oh, nonsense, he said impatiently. I am ready to go if you wish it, she went on quickly. It was due to you, to be told, to know. No, I could not, she cried, and stood still, wringing her hands stealthily. I am glad you repented before it was too late, he said in a dull tone and looking at his boots. I am glad... Some spark of better feeling, he muttered, as if to himself. He lifted up his head after a moment of brooding silence. I am glad to see that there is some sense of decency left in you, he added a little louder. Looking at her, he appeared to hesitate, as if estimating the possible consequences of what he wished to say, and at last blurted out, After all, I loved you. I did not know, she whispered. Good God, he cried, why do you imagine I married you? The indelicacy of his obtuseness angered her. Ah, uh, why? she said through her teeth. He appeared overcome with horror and watched her lips intently as though in fear. I imagined many things, she said slowly, and paused. He watched, holding his breath. At last she went on musingly, as if thinking out loud. I tried to understand... I tried, honestly. Why? To do the usual thing, I suppose. To please yourself. He walked away smartly, and when he came back close to her, he had a flushed face. You seemed pretty well pleased, too, at the time. He hissed with scathing fury. I needn't ask whether you loved me. I know now I was perfectly incapable of such a thing, she said calmly. If I had, perhaps you would not have married me. It's very clear that I would not have done it if I had known you, as I know you now. 
he seemed to see himself proposing to her ages ago. They were strolling up the slope of a lawn. Groups of people were scattered in sunshine. The shadows of leafy boughs lay still on the short grass. The coloured sunshades far off, passing between trees, resembled deliberate and brilliant butterflies moving without a flutter. Men smiling amiably, or else very grave, within the impeccable shelter of their black coats, stood by the side of women who, clustered in clear summer toilettes, recalled all the fabulous tales of enchanted gardens where animated flowers smile at bewitched nights. There was a sumptuous serenity in it all, a thin, vibrating excitement, the perfect security, as of an invincible ignorance that evoked within him a transcendent belief in felicity as the lot of all mankind, a recklessly picturesque desire to get promptly something for himself only, out of that splendour unmarred by any shadow of a thought. The girl walked by his side across an open space. No one was near, and suddenly he stood still, as if inspired, and spoke. He remembered looking at her pure eyes, at her candid brow. He remembered glancing about quickly to see if they were being observed, and thinking that nothing could go wrong in a world of so much charm, purity, and distinction. He was proud of it. He was one of its makers, of its possessors, of its guardians, of its extollers. He wanted to grasp it solidly, to get as much gratification as he could out of it, and in view of its incomparable quality, of its unstained atmosphere, of its nearness to the heaven of its choice, this gust of brutal desire seemed the most noble of aspirations. In a second he lived again through all these moments, and then all the pathos of his failure presented itself to him with such vividness that there was a suspicion of tears in his tone when he said almost unthinkingly, "'My God, I did love you.' She seemed touched by the emotion of his voice. Her lips quivered a little, and she made one faltering step towards him, putting out her hands in a beseeching gesture. When she perceived, just in time, that being absorbed by the tragedy of his life— he had absolutely forgotten her very existence. She stopped, and her outstretched arms fell slowly. He, with his features distorted by the bitterness of his thought, saw neither her movement nor her gesture. He stamped his foot in vexation, rubbed his head, then exploded. What the devil am I to do now? He was still again. She seemed to understand, and moved to the door firmly. "'It's very simple. I'm going,' she said aloud. At the sound of her voice he gave a start of surprise, looked at her wildly, and asked in a piercing tone, "'You? Where? To him?' "'No, alone. Good-bye.' The door-handle rattled under her groping hand as though she had been trying to get out of some dark place. "'No, stay!' he cried. She heard him faintly. He saw her shoulder touch the lintel of the door. She swayed as if dazed. There was less than a second of suspense while they both felt as if poised on the very edge of moral annihilation, ready to fall into some devouring nowhere. Then, almost simultaneously, he shouted, "'Come back!' and she let go the handle of the door. 
She turned round in peaceful desperation like one who deliberately has thrown away the last chance of life, and for a moment the room she faced appeared terrible and dark and safe, like a grave. He said very hoarse and abrupt, It can't end like this. Sit down. And while she crossed the room again to the low-backed chair before the dressing table, he opened the door and put his head out to look and listen. The house was quiet. He came back pacified and asked, Do you speak the truth? She nodded. You have lived a lie, though, he said suspiciously. Ah, you made it so easy, she answered. You reproach me, me? How could I, she said. I would have you no other now. What do you mean by... He began, then checked himself, and without waiting for an answer went on. I won't ask any questions. Is this letter the worst of it? She had a nervous movement of her hands. I must have a plain answer, he said hotly. Then no, the worst is my coming back. There followed a period of dead silence, during which they exchanged searching glances. He said authoritatively, You don't know what you are saying. Your mind is unhinged. You are beside yourself, or you would not say such things. You can't control yourself, even in your remorse. He paused a moment, then said with a doctoral air, Self-restraint is everything in life, you know. It's happiness, it's dignity, it's everything. She was pulling nervously at her handkerchief while he went on watching anxiously to see the effect of his words. Nothing satisfactory happened. Only, as he began to speak again, she covered her face with both her hands. You see where the want of self-restraint leads to? Pain, humiliation. Loss of respect, of friends, of everything that enables life, that all kinds of horrors, he concluded abruptly. She made no stir. He looked at her pensively for some time as though he had been concentrating the melancholy thoughts evoked by the sight of that abased woman. His eyes became fixed and dull. He was profoundly penetrated by the solemnity of the moment. He felt deeply the greatness of the occasion, and more than ever the walls of the house seemed to enclose the sacredness of ideals to which he was about to offer a magnificent sacrifice. He was the high priest of that temple, the severe guardian of formulas, of rites, of the pure ceremonial concealing the black doubts of life. And he was not alone. Other men, too, the best of them, kept watch and ward by the hearthstones that were the altars of their profitable persuasion. He understood confusedly that he was part of an immense and beneficent power, which had a reward ready for every discretion. He dwelt within the invincible wisdom of silence. He was protected by indestructible faith that would last forever, that would withstand unshaken all the assaults, the loud execrations of apostates, and the secret weariness of its confessors. He was in league with the universe of untold advantages. He represented the moral strength of a beautiful reticence that could vanquish all the deplorable crudities of life, fear, disaster, sin, even death itself. It seemed to him that he was on the point of sweeping triumphantly away all the illusory mysteries of existence. It was simplicity itself. 
End of fourth part of The Return. Recording by Ray.